Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another episode of the Showtime with Roman podcast, episode 28. Um, and man, you know what this podcast is about by this point. You know, we've been here for a while, um, 28 weeks now. And this week, I'm going to be recapping a year in movies, 2018, except I'm going to have my first guest on in a while, I believe, since Jake. Um, was on a couple weeks ago, or last year, rather, because I took a break. Uh, but I've got Brady. I think you're my first returning guest. How does that feel? It's an honor, man. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah, of course. You know, uh, when uh, I was shopping the idea of guests coming back, you know, you messaged me or commented on the post and was like, hey, I'd love to be on to recap some movies because, you know, we got very distinct and a slightly different taste. So, um Absolutely. Here we are, and uh, I'm ready to go. It's going to be a fun, like, 45 minutes to an hour for sure. Uh, hopefully I don't get interrupted by any sibling banter just outside my door, and uh, it'll be fun. For sure. For sure. Sweet. How many siblings do you have, Roman? Uh, I am the oldest of 10. Oh, my goodness. And there are a couple friends over. Some of my siblings have their friends over. So hopefully, uh, I mean, they all went to bed pretty late last night because it's uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day here today. Um, and no one really has school. I'm off of work. So it's just going to be a fun, rambunctious little day uh, down here in AZ. So uh, how cold is it where you are, by the way, around this time of the year? It's extremely cold right now. How um, cold? I'd say how- like negative 15 degrees Celsius. Oh my, yeah, I've been talking about makes it worse. Yeah, that's um that's pretty cold. I haven't experienced that type of cold in about nine, ten years. So um that's pretty brutal, man. And what do you just for everyone else, where do you live again? I live in Gander, Newfoundland. It's an island in the Atlantic Ocean on the east coast of Canada. Wow. I still can't get over that. That's so cold and that's so far away. It's very remote, yeah. I'm going to have to uh, DM you after we're done uh, just to, like, uh, let you know how long it would be for me to drive all the way up there. You should, man. Because <laughs> I'd, I'd be really curious uh, myself. <laughs> um, so let's just get right into it. Um, it's 2018 was a really great year for movies, in my opinion. Uh, I saw I've seen just over 100 movies. I still have a couple left to see. Um, and there's just a lot of films that just really spoke to me. I think out of my like top 20, uh, all of them do, I can make an argument to have a spot in my personal top 10. Uh, unfortunately, I had, obviously I had to make some cuts, uh, for certain reasons. Uh, but to me, it just really embodies so much of what this art form has to offer in terms of, uh, telling stories from so many unique perspectives. You've got the high octane blockbusters, you've got the sneaky independent films, and, uh, it was just a great year full of amazing performances, incredible set pieces, some disappointments here and there, but overall just a really incredible year for film that sets up for an awesome 2019. Um, so brief thoughts on 2018 as a whole, before we get started. Yeah, I'm in complete agreement complete agreement with you man um it was a great year i didn't watch nearly as much as you did because of my situation but um yeah i agree that there was a great balance of like the smaller independent stuff and like the mid-budget studio comedies and the blockbusters you know like i thought it was even a better mix than last year yeah 2017 was another pretty solid year but after about like 10 to 11 films 
I was like, or 11 to 14 films. I was kind of like, okay, that's it. But this year, even like some of my top 25 or top 30, I'm like, wow, I can really make a case for y'all. So uh, just a really awesome year. So just to get things started, what is the movie that came out in 2018 that was the most underseen for you? Um, This was actually a tough choice for me. It was between two, but I don't I was, uh, I'd honestly have to go with Revenge, the Ooh, French film. Yep. Um, it only made like half a million dollars at the box office overall. Wow. It was more like a festival kind of movie. And then it got Katakana on, on VOD. But I just really dug it, man. I thought it had a really good style, really good visual look. Um, Matilda Lutz's performance as this woman was like unexpectedly great like <laughs> yeah after after the big event she doesn't really talk really ever mm-hmm. and the st- and the storytelling is so good that you don't even like notice really and it's a really simple movie that knows it's simple which i admire it doesn't try to go like super in depth yeah but it doesn't have to be like it's just a simple revenge story and the yeah. climax of her and the guy like playing the cat and mouse game at the end of the film in the house is maybe the most tense thing I've seen all year. Yeah, I was actually, that was going to be the first thing I was going to mention is that big finale. Um, it's a little simple, uh, and I just really appreciated that. I didn't love the, love the film. I gave it like a three out of five. I thought it was a really solid revenge thriller. Her performance was outstanding. Some of that physical acting in there uh, was just nuts like some of the stuff that happens to her she just really sells it um and it was just a movie that uh just i'm not someone who's really into like the grindhouse pulpy type of stuff you know um and this movie kind of brought me on board in some of that regard because of just how uh timely it kind of is um and just and just how brutal some of the stuff is i mean that finale is you know, some people see think they've seen gory movies, but that there's some stuff in there that's pretty nuts. Oh, crazy. Yeah, <laughs> um, actually so ran out of fake blood at one point during the filming. Really? Wow. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, yeah. For a while, I was convinced that they were actually bleeding just from every body part. <laughs> yeah. It was, it, it was nuts. Um, so yeah, I would and definitely recommend revenge. Yeah, yeah. That sequence with the where she. Uh, uses i forget what she uses to cover up a wound on her stomach right it's that eagle oh, thing the can the drink can yeah that was whoo yikes yeah and just some of the the way that they kind of conveyed like that searing pain was just really stylistic and really clever um i just thought it was just a solid little movie that you know it still hasn't left my mind since i saw it uh even though i didn't love it so that's a really good pick um for myself, uh, most underseen would be blind spotting. Um, in a year full of uh, just a lot of movies about racial tensions, um, uh, more towards the you know racial relations between white people and black people, and then black people and officers. Um, this is one of the most timely movies uh, I've seen since I started uh, watching movies seriously. Um, and just the way that it's so bold in the way that it sort of conveys these race relations is really stylistic. I mean, there's some stuff in there uh, that just really kind of uh, 
kind of beat me up in terms of uh, showcasing a perspective on something that felt so tense and you just really felt claustrophobic um, in terms of being just kind of stuck um, with this witnessing this event and it just being weighing on you and taking a toll on you. Um, and as someone that isn't a black person, uh, obviously I can't relate too much, but just the way that the film conveyed it was so clever um, and just culminates to this finale that is one of the most jaw-dropping, chill-inducing, and incredible finales uh, I've ever seen. Um, and it's an incredible film. So blind spotting would be my pick because more people need to see it because it is getting no awards love and it is probably better than like 95% of the movies I saw this year. Well, I haven't seen it, so your statement has some merit, I suppose. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, uh, I would definitely recommend it. Uh, you usually just check out most movies on VOD um, right after because the theater thing, you know, is so tricky. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I would definitely check it out if you can. I mean... Uh, did you see Black Klansman this year? I did not. That's another big blind okay. spot for me. Yeah. Oh, hey, that's... <laughs> um, blind spotting. Uh, but they're all they're they're so close. Um, so, uh, but yeah, that movie is just awesome. Some of the performances in there just really blew me away because it's a bunch of no name performances, no name actors. Sorry. Um, and just the, what they do is just so awesome. It just makes me sad when I see a movie like Green Book really dominating the awards landscape right now. Um, yeah, so, it won the PGA. There's a yeah, lot of so, about that. Yeah, the Oscar nominations come out tomorrow, and um, I'm going to have a separate episode on Thursday talking about those because I have to wake up super early tomorrow to catch those nominations, and then I have work like a couple hours later. I'm going to need to go back to sleep because – I'm getting up at like five, six o'clock in the morning, like I do every year. So, yeah. So blind spotting, yeah. <laughs> Check it out. Um, moving on to the next one, a movie everyone else loved. So about a four out of five to five out of five that you did not love. Um, for myself, Isle of Dogs is going to be my answer here. Um, I'm a big animated person. I was super uh, excited for this film. Um, and it just didn't quite hit that mark for me. I think I ended up giving it about a three and a half out of five, a very soft 3.5 out of five. Um, I just thought the pace was kind of slow and I just didn't really connect with it in the way that I was hoping. I thought it was really clever in the way that they decided not to use subtitles. The visual language is incredible. The music is incredible. And the, all, of course, uh, as a Wes Anderson movie should be. Uh, it's got a great cast, and especially for an animated film, everyone really shows up. Um, it's a couple heartfelt moments. I just thought overall the directing could have been a little bit tighter, and I thought that the writing definitely could have been a little bit tighter. Uh, so everyone else loved that film, but it, I really liked it. I thought it was good, but it just didn't quite hit that mark for me. So what about you? Yeah, Wes Anderson's style is very hit or miss for me. I'm only really in love with one of his films, and that's Moonrise Kingdom. That's, I know that's kind of controversial, but um, yeah, I still haven't seen Isle of Dogs, though, to be honest. Yeah, I'd I do want to see it, kind of, but it's like near the bottom of my list of like 2018 movies to watch. Yeah, it's um, it's just one of those movies that um, like, I'm not a big Wes Anderson person. Um, I really like um, Grand Budapest Hotel, which is my intro to him. And a lot of people say that like for an intro, that's probably not his film to watch because it's so stylistic. But um, when I 
was watching that film, I was just really impressed by the cast and just kind of that story and just the world he kind of built, I thought was really cool. Um, so definitely um, Isle of Dogs just kind of missed that mark for me, man. It was good. It wasn't bad. But uh, I kind of forgot about it after a while. So That's fair. I want to see it just for the animation alone. Oh, the animation is gorgeous. I, I mean, as much as I love Spider-Verse, which I'll definitely get to later, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Isle of Dogs won uh, just purely in how it uses uh, that medium to just really kind of play with some cool stuff. So um, what's yours? Um, I'm probably going to get some slack for this, but I'd have to say Infinity War. Yeah, I almost went with that one too. But uh, I was, it, was, it, was a, it was a hunch that you were going to take this one. <laughs> um, so uh we can just dive into that real quick um i mean what else is there to say like it was the biggest <laughs> box office of the year everyone's seen it 14 times everyone loves it me um i thought it was a bit strangely paced it didn't really have like a sense of focus i don't think that i would have liked um thanos was a good villain i will admit that um but I just wish, like, it feels like the Russo brothers aren't even really in control of their own movie, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I've been talking, I mean, uh, my goal in 2019 is try because, you know, I'm not a big fan of the MCU like you are. Um, and just kind of rein it in, in terms of uh, being vocal about most of my dislike for the universe and just some things I have issues with, even in films I like. Um and I agree. I don't think uh, they really, even though it seems like they might have control at the same time, it uh, feels like they kind of don't. I was talking with uh, someone yesterday, early yesterday, um, about some of the MCU. And this person had made a really bad complaint about Infinity War. And then we started started getting talking in another sub-thread about uh, the film. And how, for me, I think the reason why I feel so disconnected to the MCU is that, and even just Infinity War as the best example is a movie, again, I gave a three and a half out of five. I thought it was fine, but I didn't love it uh, quite like everyone else did. And it's just one of those movies that it feels like, what well, doesn't feel like it is, it's made for the fans of the universe, which I'm not. So when these directors or when these studios start making movies for everyone else, it drowns out that voice of perspective and something creative, I think. And I think, that you're right in saying that it just doesn't even feel like the Russos have control. So that's just my thoughts on that in regards to infinity war. So Marvel plays it too close to the chest. I feel, I feel. Yeah. I mean, the movie um, has an ending that is pretty. (sighs) When I was in the theater, I think it was just more so the audience reaction to it that kind of sold me on it. But um, it's just one of those things where, the writing in the film just really kind of loses its way because, and even the editing and even the directing, I mean, the pretty, pretty big components of storytelling really um, because there's that sequence in New York early on where they fight where Iron Man and Dr. Strange and Hulk isn't hulking out and Spider-Man shows up and they're fighting some of the black order. Oh, that's the worst. (laughs) <laughs> and they set up this phone thing from Civil War, you know, which, you know, some people like us aren't too big a fan of either. And so Tony and Spider-Man get stuck on the flying donut. And then uh, this 
flip flown miraculously survives this onslaught in the street. And so um, Mark Ruffles character, Bruce Banner picks up the phone to call Steve Rogers. He calls Steve Rogers, but then we don't get that payoff until about 45 minutes later, almost you could, I mean, you're really flirting with it taking that long to get back to that point. Um, And to me, you know, whenever I think of editing in a film uh, and movies that pay off or edit, really well is like a movie like Blade Runner 2049 where what it does is it introduces information pays that off not too far along but during that process it also introduces new information to keep the plot and story moving forward and Infinity War has that but they don't do anything with it where they have all this information all this plot but they don't pay it off until eons later that literally like Thor I think disappears for like an hour and it's like the movie has is so exterior that it just loses all that interior. So, have any more thoughts on Infinity War? Sorry, I kind of dominated some of that uh, discussion. Um, what else can I say? Hmm. I feel like, honestly, um, hmm. yeah. No, I just lost my train of thought. Okay. No, it's fine. Yeah, it's just one of those movies that we both did not quite love, but everyone else did. It was like in one ear, out the other. Yep. It kind of felt similarly. I mean, I remembered a lot of stuff. Like, I really like Thanos. Um, None of the action was really memorable, especially when I get to talking about a couple other movies later. But, um, but yeah. And the comedy, I feel like, really bothered me at some points. Yeah, uh, the whole the whole Spider Man stuff, the Spider Man comedy just doesn't work for me in that in this MCU iteration. Um, hey, aliens? yeah, yeah, yeah. It is um, it is rough, personally, real rough. Um, yeah, just I'll see Endgame and then uh, I'll see the rest and just kind of be like, okay. Um, so that's that for that. Um, moving on, biggest disappointment. What was the biggest disappointment of 2018? The movie you were super excited for and you were just like, wow, that was rough. Um, I hate to keep it on the superhero train, but I'm going to have to say Deadpool 2. Interesting. I didn't expect that. Which is funny because we've actually talked about that before. Oh, yes. I was really excited for it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw it in theaters about an hour away from where I live. And... Um, I was really excited because I thought it would be like more similar to the first Deadpool, even though Tim Miller left and he left because um, the execs didn't want to take it in the direction similar to the first Deadpool, from what I understand. Interesting. And for me, I love the first Deadpool. I think one of its charms is its simplicity and like how much it's how much it differentiates itself from other comic movies. It's not a big movie. It doesn't like focus on the action too much. It's more about the characters and the romance between Deadpool and uh, what's her name? Uh, uh, forgetting her name right now. I never remember. I never Anyways, <laughs> their romance. Um, and I just thought Deadpool two didn't know what it wanted to be. It tried to be a Deadpool funny movie. It tried to be a contemplative look at her death. It tried to be a cable movie. Tried to be a domino movie. Um, 
they had Juggernaut in there for some reason. <laughs> it just felt like bloated and lifeless to me. I was not a fan of the comedy. I had it obnoxious. And it was tiresome, dude. I'm being serious. Like, yep. When the time travel thing came in at the end, I was just like, okay. You kind of checked out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I want to go home. Yeah. Um, I thought, I, I, I've only seen Deadpool 2 once. Um, I quite liked it in theaters. I gave it like a three and a half out of five. So, again, one of those scenarios where it was good, fine, you know, it has some issues and stuff. But yeah, I, I just had no desire to revisit it. Um, and it's funny that the first Deadpool one I first saw, I also loved it. Um, and then all my rewatches since, it's just declined where the jokes don't quite stay as steady. Um, and when it comes to comedies, it's so tricky um, because if the comedy doesn't land every time, I mean, you really lose a lot of um, a lot of uh, the key component of you know the story. And that's why a movie like Hot Fuzz to me is every time I watch it, it's so astounding that an action comedy still makes me laugh, even though I know the jokes that are coming. Um, and I think it's because I catch something new every time. And I think that with Deadpool, although the movies are good. I just feel like the comedy wears so thin because it's so blatant and it's just so like, Hey, let's try to fit as many jokes in as we can. Let's it reduces the cleverness of them. Uh, there is a joke in the movie that I, every time I think about it, I laugh though, is when he's fighting cable for the first time and he asks him who he is and he goes, I'm Batman. I just think that is one of the funniest things I've heard in a while in a superhero film. And for him, him to riff on that was kind of funny. Um, the death scene for him was kind of funny. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of forgettable. Um, I didn't even add that as one of our categories, but yeah, it's kind of a forgettable film. Um, so for me, uh, Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald. Um, I don't know where to begin with this one. Uh, anyone who knows me knows that Harry Potter is my blood. It's a part of my, it's uh, a huge reason I've become a storyteller in terms of video essays. Um, it's a huge reason I love movies. It is a staple of my life through the novels, through the films. Um, and this is the first one of the franchise that I think is a legitimately bad film um, from start to finish. Uh, there's just a huge identity crisis. The movie relies on the identity of a character and to propel that forward, it feels like it needs to introduce every character you possibly can to tell that story um, instead of sectioning it off and keeping it focused. Um, and it's just another thing where it reminds me of Blade Runner 2049, where it's centered around the identity of a character and how they do that in an enticing and focused manner. And Crimes of Grindelwald just goes, it feels it's like eight chapters to 10 chapters of a novel. It's all filler. Um, with an ending that does kind of entice me for future films. But overall, it's just like, why? Why did this have to be the story? Why did this, you know, why was this a follow-up to Fantastic Beasts? It just, it doesn't feel like the next natural step of progression in that story. And it just really bothered me. Um, I have no plans, honestly, to ever see it again and out of fear that I might dislike it even more. There's a director's coming out a director's cut coming out with seven more minutes, which I don't know if I could endure. The movie's already long enough as it is with no information. Um, and the movie is just written very poorly. And I'm still cannot believe that I'm saying that a Harry Potter film is my biggest disappointment of the year. So um, are you a Harry Potter fan at all of the I films? I am, yeah. Ravenclaw for life. 
Raven, yeah, I'm a Hufflepuff for life. Um, nice. So, uh, if you get the chance to see it, you know, as a Harry Potter fan, I would see it. Um, you know, just to kind of see what the hell everyone's talking about. The ending is pretty nutty, but um, it's just not good, man. Not good I at all. I'm not sure. I'm not a fan of the first Fantastic Beast either. Yeah, I like the first one quite a bit, uh, but man. This one just did not didn't do it for me. Uh, it feels bloated to me. Like I can already tell if you're looking at the poster. Yeah, I actually have a post uh, the poster up uh, next to my Overlord poster, my First Man poster, and I'm just looking at all the characters. You've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, and then what, they're not on the poster, but there's about another twelve or thirteen. And yeah, not another 12 and 13, but there are enough to make it 12 and 13. Um, yeah, it's a weird film, man. One of the weirdest films I've seen in a while in terms of blockbusters, but um, that's my answer. Uh, he's amazing. He's actually probably the best part of the film. Um, without spoiling too much, there's a Boggart scene in the film that is awesome. It's peak Harry Potter stuff uh, that I absolutely love. Some of the payoff to it is a little underwhelming and a little contrived, but um, man, what a great performance and i'm super excited to see what he brings in the next couple films though um i still wish they would have made it like a trilogy instead of a five-part saga and i really wish that they would give david yates the boot uh his creative juices are completely wrung out dude it's like trying to wring out a dry towel seriously like (laughs) there's nothing left to get out of that so um yeah Unfortunately, that's my answer. So, biggest surprise of 2018, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but Ocean's 8 was really fun. Um, It's a movie that I thought was going to be bad. Ocean's 11 is one of my favorite films ever. 12 isn't very good. 13's fine. Um, I I thought this movie was just going to be like, hey, let's just redo it, you know, with the female cast. But um, it felt like a really good natural progression to that story. Uh, doesn't quite have the style of a Soderbergh, um, but man, the cast is awesome. It's funny. Uh, the heist is really good. Um, I flirted with a four out of five. I didn't quite get it there. Um, so it's, it has some issues that I'm not too big a fan of, but overall it kind of underutilizes its cast, some of its cast in there, but man, that central performance with Sandra Bullock and Kate Blanchett uh, is awesome. And it's a movie that I would definitely recommend seeing because it's just a fun Saturday evening heist film that is a great addition to the Oceans universe. And I kind of wish that it made more money because I would love to see a sequel with that cast. I really enjoyed it. And I kind of want to pick up the Blu-ray. Yeah, man, that's awesome. I want to see it as well. Um, Have you seen the other Oceans films? I've seen 11. And I love 11. Yeah, uh, I would see 12 and 13 just for the heck of it. Uh, just to kind of see that story fulfilled. And then eight takes some of the characters from that trilogy and introduces them in interesting ways or utilizes them in interesting ways, not too many spoilers, but um, yeah, I would recommend seeing it. So what's your biggest surprise where you were like, wow, didn't expect that. So uh, the biggest surprise for me this year, hence then was blockers. Wait, really? Wow. It's in my top five of the year. I think it's an outstanding comedy in every respect. Um, and I didn't go in respect, expecting much. I kind of decided it would be like a bland, forgettable studio comedy that I forget about in like two days. But honestly, like the character work in that film and the 
the performances and like just like the comedy man like <laughs> yeah. comedy and how much it made me laugh it actually shocked me i don't think yeah. i laughed at a movie that hard since like groundhog day maybe really wow yeah that's crazy um for me um i i thought it was okay but when the jokes hit it's some of the hardest laughs i've ever had um that underwear joke at the beginning when he's biting the underwear and talking that's to his right, wife yeah. that's that shit made me laugh so hard because that is like right in my wheelhouse in terms of comedy um and then the butt chugging scene is a good one uh when they break into the house with the naked people that shit was funny um and then the big the, the American Beauty line had me roll. <laughs> uh, it's it's a movie that you know, even though I didn't love it, I, I definitely haven't stopped thinking about it because John Cena is quite good. Ike Barinholtz is quite good. Um, I'm not a big fan of uh, what's the mom's name? She's in a lot of movies. Leslie yes, Leslie Mann. I'm not a big fan of her, but man, she she really brings it too. And you, like you said, the character work. Um, you know, that's one of the things that surprised me and kind of put it over the edge in terms of appreciation is that usually comedies, you know, don't have the best character work or it's super cliche. And this movie has, you know, comedic cliche tropes, but, you know, it's a part of the genre. Um, but even what they kind of do with it is really just kind of clever. Um, I, it just really kind of shocked me. Um, and it's weird with blockers. People love it like you or they're really in the middle or some people I know really didn't like it. So... It's a pretty interesting little film that I personally still recommend to people, even though I wasn't too big a fan of Absolutely. it. I so. also got to give it props because it's really not condescending and it's, it has a surprisingly progressive message. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the ending is great. The ending of that movie, I remember laughing pretty hard too with the text Absolutely. messages. So uh, good pick. I definitely didn't expect that. So that was a big surprise for me. Um, so. Now, we're going to get a little negative for a second. I know that the film community and film landscape has been super uh, adamant in trying to shut out a lot of negative talk about film. Um, But I still think it's an important aspect of it, because if we spend a lot of our time praising the films we love, we can't really learn from things that don't do what films we love. Doesn't do what films we love. I don't even know what I'm trying to say. I really don't. I kind (laughs) of lost my train of thought. It is completely derailed. The train has left the station, and speaking of trains, 1517 to Paris is awful. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, um, so, yeah, uh, you know, let me preface everything I'm about to say real quick. The movie, um, it just really, man, uh, it's not on the guys, because it's the actual guys that were there and survived, and they're very heroic for what they did, um, saved a lot of people's lives, saved their lives. Um, They're the embodiment of people that um, just are selfless and heroic. And I just really appreciate them, you know, on a personal level. But man, it is just the wrong choice to have them play those people because they're just not actors. And I feel like if you're going to tell a dramatization of that story, you should. Uh, But even then, Clint Eastwood uh, just doesn't he's never known to be an actor's director um but there is a 30 minute sequence in europe that uh with a selfie stick it would just 
it's just like an ad for just, hey, you want to go to Europe and have some fun? Uh, the dialogue is super unsubtle. All the performances are awful. Um, and the direction is bad. It is the longest hour and 40 minutes of my life. Um, it's, it trends towards so bad it's good. Um, but because there's some lines in there that just truly blew me away. Um, like there's a line at the beginning of the film where uh, a teacher is talking about vaccinations, I believe. And um, the mothers are like, my God is better than your statistics. And I was like, oh, oh my God, we are, uh, we're in this for the long haul. Um, so yeah, just a terrible film. Don't want to spend too much more time on it. Um, just bad. Very, very, very bad film. So what about you? Um, I still haven't seen that movie. Honestly, I tried to avoid most movies that I know are probably going to be bad. Uh, but there was one this year that stuck out for me. It's definitely Truth or Dare. Well, oh my God! You need yes. Dive into Truth or Dare. Yes, please <laughs> dive into this. I have heard so much about this film. Uh, um, I just love listening to everything about it. So, I actually saw this movie in theaters. Ooh, I was one of the few. Yeah, <laughs> I really needed something to watch, and I was in town, so I just went and um. It wasn't worth it. Um, <laughs> so basically, basically these group of like college students that they go on a trip to Mexico. On their trip to Mexico while they're partying, this guy comes up to them, the strange guy, invites them to play truth or dare. Mm-hmm. They go to like this abandoned church somewhere. They start playing truth or dare, and then the guy like reveals he tricked them. And then now they're stuck in the game. And it's hard to describe what this movie even does. Um, I don't remember much of the plot, really. Um, I know that there's a demon in it at one point. But basically, it basically boils down to like a very, very bad, unscary horror film that is made for... 14-year-old girls to watch the sleepovers. It's like that kind of movie. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. Wow. Yeah. It's not not funny. It's not scary. It's not well acted, I wouldn't say. Um, It's just really, really forgettable. Yeah, my friend, uh, I was... I had a long drive after work one night or after the movies. I think it came out the same weekend as Rampage, so... I went and saw Rampage instead of Truth or Dare, I think. And he called me after and he goes, dude, I got to talk to you about Truth or Dare. So we sat on the phone for about 30 minutes uh, while I was driving. I have Bluetooth in my car, so don't worry. I wasn't on my phone while I was driving. Okay. It was, okay. Everyone was safe. Um, but uh, I, I'd like to contend that maybe he was just uh, a little high on a marijuana cigarette throughout the film. Uh, but... <laughs> Uh, well, cause I know he, I know he was cause he told me, but, uh, he said that it was, uh, the funniest film he saw last year. One of the funniest films because, and then he described, he spoiled everything for me cause I don't really care. I'm never going to see it. But, um, some of the stuff that happens in there just sounds like completely batshit crazy. Um, and some of it is. yeah, I know some people that really like it though. Uh, not really like it, I guess, but liked it. Um, but again, no surprise that someone thought it was terrible because apparently it is. So it's um, great if you're drinking with a bunch of friends or something. 
Yeah, I wish there was. Interesting. Yeah, I know some people uh, did say that he's just kind of like a cheesy, you know, self-aware, like stupid horror film, and they appreciate it for that. But um, in a year with Hereditary, which I haven't seen, but everyone else loves, so I'm just speaking uh, for everyone else. Uh, it's kind of weird to see kind of like that standard for horror films. It's kind of an interesting genre. I mean, I know you're a big fan of horror, right? Absolutely. Okay. I love all horror, even bad horror. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what? Uh, moving on to the next one, what is the best action scene you saw in 2018? Uh, the best action scene I saw all year. Oh, that's tough. Um, this year had a lot of great action. Yeah. Even the movies like you wouldn't usually suspect would have great action. But honestly, the one that just popped in my head right away was the helicopter chase in Fallout. Um, that one really just like had me draw dropped from frame one. I can't believe how long it must have taken to like choreograph that correctly. It's just, like the scale of it really impressed me. Um, and it's intense, man. When the music's going and Tom Cruise, he like leaps out of the fog to try to crash into Henry Cavill's helicopter. I was like, really great movie. Yeah. Um, I, you know, definitely reserved my IMAX seats the second that the tickets were released. Was the first person to buy tickets um and that helicopter chase is fantastic um i remember listening to like a six-hour interview with christopher mcquarrie um every second of it i listened to that it just one of the, some of the best six hours of my life um when you're not watching lord of the rings return of the king um which isn't <laughs> that long but um so for me um it's also uh coming from mission impossible fallout but it's the paris chase um it's really hard you mean you can really pick any action scene i think from fallout and say that was probably the best action scene of the year um the helicopter chase though i mean the choreographing i remember him talking about how tom cruise you know specifically wanted to learn how to fly a helicopter because he felt it was important uh because he thinks about the audience when making the film um, and saying and trying to you know view it from their lens um it is also the only scene in action scene in the film where tom cruise is not in a shot uh he said there's like a i think i don't know if i think it was like a one, when one of the shots was attached to the camera or to the side of the helicopter there's one shot where it's not him and it's the only action shot in the film where it's not him uh for safety reasons which sounds crazy but uh there was something going on i think with scheduling and just a couple safety things and i think it was like a technicality where he couldn't be in the shot so but um every other shot with action is him um and that just brings me back to the paris scene where i was sitting in the theater next to my dad who's also a big mission impossible fan and um, it's probably going to end up being one of my favorite franchises of all time after seven and eight. Um, but that scene when he's on the motorcycle and the whole scene is really about 10 to 12 minutes long, I think um, just that big sequence right in the middle of the film. Um, and just that shot when it's that giant wide shot where it's like a, where you see him driving into onto on into oncoming traffic and you oh, can gorgeous. see where you can see his hair moving and you just know that it is him. And to yeah. me, that is so integral. Cause like Bakari was also saying, you know, the benefit of working with Tom, 
you know, it's also a strength and weakness for the film where, you know, it's a weakness because he's the star. And if he gets injured, then you've got problems. But at the same time, you know, the best part about it is that you can get these shots that you wouldn't if you were using a stunt double. And the fact that they are just able to embrace that, like there's just that one focused shot where it's like he's driving towards the camera and he's just focused on this motorcycle. He zooms off and then just the way the camera swerves around traffic had me on my toes. I remember sitting in the theater and clenching up when I thought he was going to hit a car. It is to me, um, everything I love about action, how they choreograph that is incredible. And when I learned more, again, during that six hour, six hour interview, they had a half hour to get that shot of him driving into oncoming traffic. They had a half hour to do it. And Tom said, we have to go. We have to do this right now. We're not missing the shot. This is our only time to get it. Let's do it. And that's the shot they got. And I still can't believe it. It is to me, it's to me, it is one of the best action films ever, but that scene for a sequence that takes place in the middle of the film, that's the part of the film where you really have to make sure you keep the audience on board and set them up for a good hour, a good hour left or a good, depending on how long your film is. Um, But then that bleeds right into that London chase, that foot chase, which is just another dynamite scene um, and just sets you up for that big finale with the helicopter. So, I mean, I have no problem with that pick because it's another incredible scene. But man, that Paris chase sequence, I'll never, ever, ever forget how I felt uh, watching that in the theater, especially with Lauren Balfe's score with the drums. I'm not going to emulate it because I'm going to sound like an idiot, but it's (laughs) incredible. It really is. Yeah, like it reminded me of The Dark Knight in a lot of ways, uh, but it also just had like this cool, unique identity with the drums. Do you remember the drums at all? Like the, oh yeah, it sounds like Mad Max ish. And I just, I want to rewatch that film and I can't because my brother's borrowing it because he hasn't seen it. So, Um, but yeah, great year for action, uh, most notably Fallout. Um, Best male performance of the year. Um, For me, this is right there with Joaquin Phoenix. It was tough to choose. I kind of had to do a coin flip in my head. And I went with Ryan Gosling in First Man. Um, Just one of the most understated and most beautiful performances I've seen in a long time. The way that he's able to convey emotion for the story, um, because there's a lot about the film I didn't know going in. And again, of course, dramatized, but at the same time, uh, still very true to Neil's character um, that ends up paying off in one of the most cathartic and most beautifully captured finales um, I'll probably ever see. Um, Ryan Gosling is to me still probably the most underrated performer of our time. He reminds me a lot of Jimmy Stewart in the way that he is able to just get into these roles and has this instant charm or charisma. He plays Neil a little more cold, uh, for thematic and narrative purposes, but, um, it is just a performance that really inspired me. Um, it's a performance that just told me that, um, that he's one of the best actors working today. Um, so Ryan Gosling is my pick as best performance of 2018 male performance yeah, of 2018. For sure. What's, uh, what's, cause you haven't seen first man, right? Not yet. No, I really okay. want to. So what's his, uh, favorite performance of his that you've seen? Gosling? Yeah. What's your favorite performance of his? Yeah. Oh boy. Um, I know this is probably not as like considered his best cause it's comedy and it's biased, but. He's really good and crazy with love. Yes. Um, I, hilarious in that movie. I saw that for the first time last year, and that was actually a really good comedy, and he's great in it. 
Um, so that's a good pick. Have you seen the nice guys? I have seen the nice guys. Yeah, that's great as well. Yeah. So, yeah, his range is unbelievable. When you see First Man, you're going to be like, wow, this is the guy from Drive, which is also probably his best, one of his best performances. This is the guy from Blade Runner 2049, which, again, is a very similar performance. But this is also the guy that can make you laugh. He's awesome, man. I love him so much. I wish he would be my friend. So <laughs> what, what, would, what would your pick be? Yeah. <laughs> what would your pick be for best male performance? Uh, this is the performance that isn't getting really a lot of awards buzz at all. Um, nor is the movie. I just watched it. I thought it was really good. I'm going to have to pick Jeff Bridges at um, Bell Time, Bad Time for the El Royale. Wow. That's a really good pick. Yeah. Um, I didn't go into the movie expecting like a lot from the performances per se. Like I knew it had a great cast, and I knew everyone would be like enjoying it. Um, but I thought it would be like more like focused on like Chris Hemsworth, maybe, and like John Hamm, I guess. Man, Bridges really, really impressed me in that one. Um, I thought he took a character that could have been like so cheesy with the memory loss thing. Oh, man, he sold that so... He, he made it really mm. sympathetic, and I, like, felt so bad for him when his backstory starts unraveling. Um, yeah. yeah. And just, like, he has a presence that is, like, honestly, like, most actors can't even dream of achieving. You know what I mean? Like... Yep. Absolutely. Um, I was watching... He is. He's the dude. Um, I actually am trying to debate right now because First Man comes out uh, on blue 4K tomorrow. So I'm picking that up. Uh, I only work 12 to 6.30. There's a screening for the Big Lebowski on the big screen tomorrow at 7 o'clock. And I don't know if I'm going to – I want to see it really bad. I'm, in theaters, I've only seen it once. But I don't, I don't usually like seeing movies after work because I'm relatively tired. But at the same time, I just want to see First Man. But at the same time, I really want to see Big Lebowski on the big screen because it's only $5. Um, so I don't know. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the dude. And I feel like I owe it a rewatch because I didn't love it the first time I saw it. I thought it was really good. But um, no, that performance, man. Uh, I actually recently rewatched that because it ended up being one of my favorite films of the year. Didn't quite make my top 10. Uh, but Jeff Bridges' performance, along with Cynthia Erivo, their chemistry and their dynamic and the way it plays off in that film oh, excellent. is excellent. Um, I know a lot of people, uh, I feel like that movie had an unfair advantage in being compared to a Tarantino film based off trailers. And it still kind of is in the way that it subverts uh, sort of expectations. Uh, what I would recommend is watching uh, a brief review from Movies with Mikey on YouTube. He has his like Faye Five movies every year and bad times at the El Royale made it. And what he has to say about the film, um, he put into words what I never could about that film uh, and why I really appreciated it and think it's fantastic. Um, and that Jeff Bridges performance though is awesome. Just again, with the memory loss thing that he uh, does and just kind of uh, what he represents in the story and the narrative is really good. And he just pitches it really well. He was also on this round table uh, for Hell or High Water in 2016 for the Hollywood Reporter, and he is just one of the probably one of the nicest dudes you'll ever see. He's very dominant in uh, conversations where he dominates a lot of it, but um, he's a great storyteller um, and he's really funny. And yeah, that's a great pick. I wouldn't 
he probably wouldn't make my top five performances because there's a lot that I really love. Uh, but man, it's up there. He's awesome in that film. So, um, moving on to best female performance. Uh, for me, this was a tough one. Um, it was either Olivia Coleman from the favorite or Rachel Weiss from the favorite. Um, both performances to me are just not only are they funny, but they're heartbreaking. Uh, they're powerful um, and very nuanced. And just it has a lot to do with the writing uh, specifically and how they're able to sell that is so good. Um, but Olivia Coleman, just far and away, just the physic- physicality of it. I know it doesn't seem like it would take a lot of physicality, but to sell some of the things she does in the latter half of the film uh, is a testament to how great of an actress she is. Um, I almost went with Rachel Weiss though, because there is a little bit more range compared to her counterparts with Emma Stone and Olivia Coleman. Um, but Olivia Coleman to me is just, I, she's going to win best actress at the Oscars. I think she is outstanding in the favorite, one of my favorite films of the year. That's great, man. I can't wait to see that one. Um, is it like a different style for your ghost, do you think? Or is he like maintaining style? To me, um, I've seen The Lobster and Killing of a Sacred Deer. Uh, the Lobster had me on board until the second half. Uh, Killing of a Sacred Deer is one of the most unnerving for uh, two hours of my life. Um, very just strange film. And then this one, I think I'm going to subject it to the fact that he, the the other writer that he co-wrote with dominated the script. And I think that when Yorgos doesn't have com- control of the vision um then he's able to be maintained it's able to be more focused and able to be more accessible this is his most accessible film with an ending that is certainly going to confuse a lot of people um but at the same time uh it's just really powerful and i think that the reason why it works so well is because your ghost did help with the script of course he's been working on it for years and um but at the same time it's maintained because it's still tapping into his creative uh, style, but at the same time, it's just reining it in just a bit to where it can give the audiences everything that you want to see from a Yorgos Lanthimos film, but a focused version of that. So, That's awesome here. I can't wait for it. It's incredible. Absolutely incredible. So, more on that later, of course. So, what's your pick? Um, this is tough. It's also between two for me. Um, but I'm going to have to go with Elsie Fisher in eighth grade. Um, mm, yep. Good pick. I haven't even seen her in a movie before this. This is like her first big role. And I thought she destroyed it. Um, like there are scenes in that movie, like when she first goes to that pool party and she goes into the washroom and has like a panic attack. It was one of my f- favorite scenes of the year, yeah. I felt like I was there. And, like, mm-hmm. even if you go to, like, the truth of air scene in the car, like, that could yep. not have been easy to film and, like, no. perform convincingly. Like, but she nailed it, dude. And, like, the campfire scene with her dad is my favorite scene of the year. I just feel like their chemistry, like, her and her dad is insane and the dialogue and, like, how it, like, kind of, like, bookends the relationship on a positive note. Really great. And she, like, she, she nails the humor as well, not just the drama. She's very funny in it. 
Um, ever since I saw that film, I just my style of comedy is to kind of play it dumb sometimes. Uh, and you know, a lot of people don't use the word Gucci. And so ever since I saw the film, whenever I'm okaying something, I do that thing she does at the end of her YouTube videos. And I say, Gucci. And people are just like, uh, yeah. And people are like, uh, what are you doing? I'm like, Oh, you haven't seen eighth grade. And uh, they're like, no, what the hell is that? And I'm like, Oh, Never mind then. <laughs> but uh, it's a movie that I've been uh, meaning to rewatch. Uh, that campfire scene is the big emotional moment in the film. And I think, I don't know if I was tired or something, but it just didn't. Whenever I give a movie a four out of five, I think it's great. It does everything it sets out to do. It's got great character moments. But when it comes to the emotional attachment, I was a little detached uh, because of that moment where, I, I don't know, maybe I was just in a weird mood. Uh, but I've been on a Bo Burnham kick recently and he's the best after learning more about him through the art that he creates and the performances that he gives, uh, just makes me appreciate eighth grade even more because you see a lot of him, um, in Elsie Fisher's character. Um, that bathroom scene, again, one of the best scenes of the year. Um, I relate a lot of, a lot to that film in terms of self-consciousness in terms of, uh, some anxiety and stuff like that. Um, in a public setting, um, and it's funny. It's a funny movie. I'll never, ever forget um, the shot where a banana is panned into frame. I'll never that forget it. It's one of the f- funniest moments of the year. It's a great film, and it's a great performance. I seriously cannot wait to see what else she does, and I hope she works with Bo Burnham again on another project because they have a really great relationship. Um, I remember listening to an interview where he was just talking about her, and it just really made me hope that they get to work on a million things together. So, great pick. They were at an award show recently with, like, matching suits. That's amazing. I didn't even see that. <laughs> movie, like, five times already, bro. I love it. Well, five times, yeah. I might pick up the Blu-ray if it's on sale at Target this week. I think we're having, like, a $10 movie sale. So, if it's on sale, I think I'm going to pick that up tomorrow along with First Man. So, um, and rewatch that with my siblings. I want, I want my sisters to watch that. I think they'll love it. So, uh Moving on, best animated film. Uh, for me, this is no contest, uh, but Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse uh, is far and away the best, one of the best films I've seen all year. One of the best animated films I'll probably ever see. Um, it made me excited to see Spider-Man on the big screen again, going back to what I said about the MCU's iteration of Spider-Man. Uh, not a fan, but what they do with Spider-Man here is they continue the iconography of that character in a beautiful way um, in an exciting way in one of the best scripts of the year uh, some of the best characters of the year and the way that they are able to tie everything together in his um, in this web pun intended <laughs> in this in this web is just outstanding and one of uh, the most amazing stories of that character uh, right there with Spider-Man 2 um, I know it sounds like recency bias, but very few films have hit me on a level where it's so creatively um, enticing and beautiful to look at. And at the same time, just tells an awesome story from beginning to end that literally does not have a single wasted moment. It's one of the best films of the year, but most importantly, the best animated film of the year. I'm really glad you loved it, man. I'm I'm shocked I did. I'm still hesitant about it for some reason. Interesting. Everyone I know has been raving about this thing, but I'm still like not completely on board, and I'm not sure why exactly. Um, it might be uh, 
because I just said that I was surprised I loved it as much as I did. And I think that's because you and I are both burnt out by kind of another iteration of Spider-Man that it's kind of like, uh, I don't know. I don't, but no, trust me. Like, I think when you watch it, you're going to just feel so reinvigorated and just so in love with the character again and seeing him um, in the best format possible that you're going to be like, wow, this is one of the coolest things. Some of the stuff they do with the animation and the music and the characters is peak comic book storytelling, comic book movie storytelling. So what's your pick? Oh, um, the style is amazing. It's unlike anything I've ever seen. And then the Far From Home trailer comes out and is like, oh. (laughs) Yeah, Um, yeah, I've only seen one animated film this year and it's Incredibles 2. So that's default my favorite um it's a good thing that i also loved it um yeah i know like it kind of kind of it got a lot of flack kind of for like kind of having the same plot like that's not really great and people were saying like it wasn't worth a 14 year wait from the first incredibles but i can really disagree i loved it um i thought it was really clever how it kind of told the same story but they swapped it Mr. Incredible had some really good moments with Dash and Violet and Jack Jack as well, which you didn't like get to see in the first one as much, I don't think. Yep. I mean, like, Elastigirl was already a great mom, in my opinion, so. Yes. Their moments weren't like, they didn't need like tender moments to like bring them together. Um, yeah. Um, the action was great. Um, I really love the humor. Jack Jack, Jack, Jack fighting the rest of the That's one of the funniest scenes of the year, yeah. It's, a, it's like a great Pixar short film, that scene is. Um, yeah, I had a blast with it. I just think <laughs> that if they had maybe tweaked the villain a little bit, like maybe if they had yeah. the reveal, um, it would have been more praise, I think. But, you know, what can you do? Yeah, it was uh it was um it was a movie that I really liked. I think I gave it a 4 out of 5. Um I, again the villain as soon as the villain came on screen, I was like that's the villain. Well at this point you don't know it's the villain. But um yeah, some things I would have liked to have been tuned up. Uh, it's got some good action, some clever action. Uh I thought the third act was a little underwhelming by comparison to the first one. Um but uh that's a little unfair to Incredibles 2 cuz the first one's so good. Um, from start to finish, um, I I personally don't think it was worth that long of a wait, but uh, I can totally see why anyone would because it's just a really solid movie and it's beautifully animated. Um, one of Pixar's most beautifully animated films ever, right there with Wally. Um, so yeah, it was a good movie. It was a good little movie. I haven't seen it since theaters, uh, but I've definitely been more inclined to rewatch it uh, since. So Disney released a movie where the villain's motive is for people to like stop watching screens and like get off the like get off the phones. And not even that. I think the movie does an interesting job of playing with our perception of heroes and the way that media pers- uh uh showcases them because even going back to that Jack Jack scene, you know, he's watching TV and sees the bandits with the black you know things covering their eyes. So then he sees the raccoon which looks just like that. So he's like, oh, this is what the media is telling me. So this is how I'm going to perceive something. And I thought that was a really clever way of doing that. And I thought that Brad Bird is just a really good job at hearkening back to like these 1950s style, like uh, 
spy films because Incredibles is also kind of like a spy film in both films. And I think that it's really clever and just a really great set of two films that are, would be a great back-to-back rewatch and would only take up about three hours of your time. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a good movie. Um, it was probably my second favorite animated film of the year, I think. Um, but yeah, it, there's a lot of stuff in there. I love and a lot of stuff. I wish they would have tuned up a bit, but good pick. Um, got a, four categories left and then we're going to bang out our top 10 and call it a day. Um, so what is your favorite screenplay of the year? Best screenplay you think? Um, this is going to be tough because I know you're not a fan of the writing in this film, but I'm going to have to say Thoroughbreds. I know you love the performances, but the yeah. dialogue didn't live up to you, I don't think. Yeah, that, I wasn't a big fan of the dialogue or the story or the way the character arcs um, went through. But continue, and then I have a, a point, uh, something that kind of came up recently about that film. I think straight off the bat, both those characters are so clearly defined and you know how they operate and you know how they're going to react to like every situation, but yet you're still surprised when some stuff happens, especially in the climax. Um, I feel like it's a really great movie. I really love it. It's in my top five year. But I feel like the direction was like, not cinematic, so it really gave the writing like, time to shine, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I, really, I was really a fan of, like, where the story went. And I think thematically it has, like, a lot of stuff to unravel once you, like, rewatch it again. Yeah, I um, had a weird experience with that film where I just, I think, again, the kind of the point of the movie was to kind of feel emotionally detached. Because they're not characters you really root for, per se, in, in how we understand the word and that terminology. Um, but... There was, do you know who Joseph Solano is? I mean, you probably yeah, have to. So he wrote an article uh, reviewing Thoroughbreds. And I didn't really anticipate much from it because I didn't know he was a writer. Or, I mean, I knew he was a writer and I knew he wanted to write like Star Wars fan fiction or not fan fiction, but stories because fan fiction, I think, is a bad term. Um, so wanted to write a Star Wars story. And so I knew he was a writer and had the inclination to write. So he had posted hyping up that the fact that he had an article coming out uh, about thoroughbreds and i was like oh this should be interesting because i'm not a big fan of the film um so i read his review and was kind of blown away um by what he had to say about the film and uh to me the purpose of a great writer is especially in regards to film is to get you to um understand the film from a new perspective to help me better understand uh the way i feel about something and what he managed to do in sort of how he conveyed the information that was presented in thoroughbreds was really inspiring. Not only was it incredibly well-written, but it just, the way he kind of talks about sort of uh, uh, subverting sort of expectations of a hero or a lead character, uh, what it means specifically in that story um, at the end of the film for Anya Taylor-Joy's character. And um, I'm forgetting the other actress's name. Help me out. Yes, Olivia Cook's character um, kind of blew me away and made me say, I need to rewatch that. Um, so I'm definitely going to rewatch it. I don't know when, 
Uh, it's definitely not on my priority list right now. I've got a lot coming up, but um, for other stuff I'm working on in regards to rewatches, but um, you should definitely, if you get a chance, uh, read that review of his because it is seriously awesome and gave me a whole new light on the film. And I think you'll appreciate it as a big fan of the film. So, um, his article for sure. Also, uh, side note, go ahead. I watched I watched Phantom Thread and Thoroughbreds like a few days apart. And those films are shockingly similar. Yes. Um, what do you think about it? <laughs> Go no ahead. <spoilers>. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I didn't even think about that. Um, and Phantom Thread is one of my favorite movies of the last couple of years. Um, but yeah, that's a really good pull. I didn't even think about that because now that I'm thinking about the details. I'm like, wow. Yeah, I can. Uh, I can see it. <laughs> um, like Phantom Thread is like a really high class thoroughbreds in a lot of respects yeah absolutely yeah wow i didn't even think about that that's crazy Hmm. so for me um i already mentioned the favorite and i'm gonna mention again and i'm gonna mention it about three more times before we're done uh the favorite is got the best screenplay of the year i think um the way that it right the way that the character arcs in the film are some of the most amazing character arcs I've ever seen. Um, they just enrich in the plot. Uh, it makes those themes more palpable. It is just um, the way that it just kind of constructs these characters and gives them uh, uh, metaphorical stand-ins here and there is just outstanding. Um, it's a script that just blew me away. Um, and made me say that it kind of inspired me. It was like kind of like when I watched Phantom Thread where I was sitting there and I got out of the theater and was like, wow, I just kind of love movies. Um, and that's what happened with The Favorite when I got out um, and I just kept thinking about the script and kind of what it did with its characters and the story specifically in the setting. Um, it just was like, wow, I just really am infatuated with this medium because of what was conveyed in this film. And uh, that's just the sign of a special film. And the favorite is that. Um, And it's one of the best films of the year for sure. I think it's just far and away, just a script that sort of just understands the medium, understands its material. And uh, Yorker Slanthamus directs the hell out of it. But man, that script is awesome. So that's my pick for best screenplay. Um, Moving on to best directed film. Uh, This one is going to be a little, a bit of a different uh, answer here. Not a different answer, but an answer that a lot of people aren't going to expect for all the great films that have come out this year. You've got Damien Chazelle, Yorgos Lanthimos. Um, I'm forgetting the director who did blind spotting. Um, You've got uh, Alex Garland from Annihilation, Paul Schrader for first reformed um, and a couple other films as well. But for me, um, in terms of how I've perceived the director's role in the past, year uh has shifted greatly um in terms of what to look for when judging uh direction and mission impossible fallouts uh christopher mcquarrie to me uh is the best director of 2018 um and usually for action directors they get you know a little bit of a uh, little bit of heat thrown their way saying oh you know it's just an action film it's not like some high brow drama or science fiction uh but what in terms of directing what you have to do is you have to make sure all of the parts are in the right place and moving simultaneously with all these other cogs to make a great product. There are a lot of directors who have done that this year, but just think in listening to that interview probably helped. And if I did that with every director, they'd all probably be my answer. But 
what he was able to accomplish just in terms of scale, in terms of intimate character moments, while choreographing this action odyssey is just incredible. And to me, it is all the signs of a great director and why it's the best directed film of the year. Uh, He's great with technical work. He's great with character work. He's great with actor work. He's great with cinematography. And he's great with the score and assisting with all this stuff. His fingerprints are all over this film. I hope they don't burn him out by making him do four mission films in a row. But to me, he just understands this material. He understands the genre. Uh, He choreographs beautiful action, captures it beautifully, and just has a great vision uh, for Tom Cruise. And he's a great collaborator. And I think that's the most important part of a director as well, is just making sure that you have the ability to work with other people really well to make a great product. And that's what he did. So Christopher McQuarrie is my answer. Right way of putting it, man. If he so, got nominated for an Oscar, I would not blink. Yeah, neither would I. I, th- I don't. He's not going to, I don't think, because there's a lot of other films I can understand. I can understand why anyone else would probably get in above him, but um, he's just, the way he operates that film is just beautiful. So I agree. What about you? Um, I know you haven't seen this one yet still, but I'm going to have to say Hereditary. Damn. (laughs) Oh, man, this is going to be a thorn in my side for a long time, but go ahead. (laughs) Um, I feel like the last five minutes of this movie, like, dips down in quality. Interesting. Like, it doesn't end on, like, perfectly satisfying note for me. But literally literally the like other two two hours or so is like near perfect dude for me. Um the performances are incredible. There are visuals that are still stuck in my head. Um just the level of tone and the amount of patience that Ari Aster knows the audience has to have to enjoy this movie fully. It's kind of staggering to me, um, especially for a debut feature. Um, um, I just really think he's an exciting talent to watch. He really gets the horror genre and he knows how to make engaging narratives. Um, Hereditary might have been the most engaging film I've seen all year. Wow. Aside from maybe Roma. That's yeah, hereditary. Um I really wish I can get myself to watch it. I can't do it. Um just for um the fact yes. that it's I love intense movies, but um the first shot of that film, uh where it pans out from focusing on the treehouse and doing a one eighty shot, um in the longest two minutes of my life, uh, not for in a bad way. And then just slowly zooming in on the house um, to the bedroom is um, all I needed to see. Uh, I saw a little bit more, but uh, I tried watching it. Um, and I don't know if you know this, I watched 13 minutes of it and instantly I had to, uh, from that first shot, I had to turn it off because I felt, I felt so uncomfortable. I thought I was going to die. Um <laughs> it just really just reached sort of into the deepest parts of my fears and just, I don't know, just sort of, I wasn't scared of anything on screen, obviously just the way it was conveyed and the way it was shot was so 
damn uncomfortable. I thought I was going to throw up. I thought I was going to be sick. And I, I just, I couldn't bring myself to watch it. And the more people tell me about it, uh, I just want to watch it. Every, I think about that film every day, Brady. Every single day I think about that film and how bad I want to watch it. But I can't watch it because of the fact that um, I, I'm not a, I love horror. I'm a big horror fan. Um, but the fact that it deals with house horror and sort of family horror, um, it just, it's not a touchy subject or anything. It's just the way that it's conveyed in the intensity um, and some of what people have pitched to me. Um, I was talking to some friends the other day when I saw uh, glass and their friend, they watched it with their friend and their Apple watch went off in the theater because their heart rate got so high during the finale. And, um, hereditary? yes, of hereditary. Yeah. They said that the, their heart rate got so high, so, uh, dangerously high that they had to take a breather. And, uh, one of, one of his other friends got up and left because they couldn't handle it. Um, and I've seen a couple scenes. I know of couple of the big moments unfortunately uh but just the camera work in that film uh just based off of the first 13 minutes um i was like i feel like i think this would probably end up being the best film i've seen all year but i just can't bring myself to watch it because i'm so excruciatingly terrified of what he's probably going to be able to convey that shot when she turns off the light after telling her daughter good night and there's that person standing in the corner i about had a heart attack yeah, it's crazy I almost started crying because I was so scared because to me, like there's just something about it that just really messed me up mentally. I couldn't do it. So yeah, that's near the end of the film. I'm going to spoil this. It's not major, but near the end of the film, there's like a guy like in a closet who's like in the dark, but you can see his smile and that can't do it. Yeah. Um, I live in a room. I'm in a room all by myself. My room is pretty big. Uh, when the lights are off, uh, the corners are very dark. Um, the night that I got home from watching the first 13 minutes earlier in the day, my room was pitch black. And when I opened the door, I think my heart stopped for a good couple seconds because I just thought about some, I, I literally dude, it's, it's insane. It's an enigma. I'm going to try and watch it when I go back in April and watch it with my best friend. Who's a big fan of the film. Uh, but that's a good pick because everyone else seems to be on board with Ari Aster. So, um, so good. For almost all of it, that it sucks that the ending kind of Yeah, I know that I heard the ending is a little hit or miss for people. Um, but I don't know. I just can't wait to watch it one day just so I can finally see what the hell the hype is all about. Don't watch it alone. So, I can't. I can't. I don't even know if I could watch it midday in a crowded theater with the lights completely turned. I couldn't do it. I don't know. It's just one of those things um, where I don't know if I can see it because of just how much it gets to me. Um, so moving on the last couple uh, subject or last couple of categories here, best cinematography. This was a tough one. Cause there's a lot of films I wanted to pick. I wanted to pick the favorite, but I'm already highlighting that in a couple other categories. I wanted to pick first man, but it, when I started thinking about just really the cinematography that got to me, um, it was Roma. Uh, Alfonso Coran's Roma is the first film he ever shot by himself. Um, he was going to try and get, uh, Emmanuel Lebeski, I think, or right. I think you're right. Yes. Yeah. yeah Cause he worked with him on children of men and, and gravity. So he was going to get Lebeski, my personal favorite cinematographer working today. Um, but he said, why don't you just do it yourself? And Koran was like, okay. And what he did was 
he pans a lot, but uh, I think for great dramatic effects, um, the movie is a slice of life movie. Um, some of the best sound design I've ever seen that has nothing really to do with the cinematography specifically, but just the way that he's able to capture uh, just that essence of life and living uh, during that time is beautiful. There is a sequence towards the end of the film, no spoilers because it's one of the biggest moments of the year uh, where the camera lingers in this one spot for a good six minutes, I think. Um, and I was in tears for six to seven minutes. Um, it crazy, is dude. the first shot the... in the movie is literally water being like run across the floor. Just that for like three or four minutes. And I was compelled completely. It's nuts. Yeah, I was, I was, uh, I was on a trip to Northern Arizona during that weekend when it had come out and I really wanted to see it, of course. And I had it downloaded on my phone for the trip. And so I was going to watch it. And then as about two minutes into that opening shot, I said, no, I'm waiting to watch this on my 4k TV. And I'm really glad I did because it is one of the most spectacular, um, films of the year and the cinematography alone uh just the way it just captures that essence of life is so beautiful and uh, i know a lot of people say the movie doesn't really have a lot of like uh engaging aspects um i think he shoots it in an engaging way and just really captures uh and frames things beautifully so that'd be my pick it's a great pick man i almost went with it as well um it sucks not to go with it because it looks so gorgeous for most of it for all of it, I should say. Um, but, you know, I feel like Alfonso Cuaron has better-looking films. I'd say Children of Men is probably a better-looking film. Man, yeah, that is a beautiful film. Um, it's tough, though. But honestly, I'm going to have to go with Annihilation for having the best cinematography. It's hard to leave that one off, too. Yeah, <laughs> mostly because comparing it to Roma, Roma, like didn't have to establish a foreign environment like the shimmer did. Mm, um, that's a really good point. The shimmer to me, um, like how that environment was designed and photographed. is just insane to me. I think it was filmed in like a forest somewhere in like Georgia. Um, I could be wrong about that. No, I think you're right. I've stayed through the end of the credits of that film and it said, thanks Georgia and had like the Georgia peach and whatnot. But yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just like the production design and the visuals, the visual effects and how like just the cinematography of how it looked. And more importantly, like there's just like countless shots in that movie that I can just like remember off the top of my head. Like even before they go to the shimmer, like Natalie Portman's yep. hand through the water glass and um, you see the blood in the water from Oscar Isaac later on. Um, you go to stuff like the bear scene, which is like one of the best. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great scene. Yeah. It's, like the noise is just unbelievable. Um, and like the most unsettling thing in that movie is um, the video that they find on the camera. Oh, at the base. Like, what a scene, bro. Oh my God. Oh, <laughs> they were like grasping like the seats. The, the arms. The, I was like, oh, the music during that sequence is crazy, pretty dude. spectacular too. Yeah. Um, also, um, I gotta say the finale of that movie. It's really stuff I've never seen before in a movie. And I'm yeah. Props for that. Yeah. 
Yeah, the cinematography in that film is great. Rob Hardy actually shot Annihilation and Mission Impossible Fallout, um, two of some of the best-looking films of the year. Cinematography, I also would put Fallout in contention because of having to capture all that action is really hard to do and do it well. Um, uh, Also, huge shout-out to First Reformed um, for this one as well. I really wanted to go with that because of uh, what it conveys thematically. Um, And it's just every time I watch that film, I'm like, get something more out of it from the way uh, that it's shot. So I know you're in the process of finalizing your watch on that. Um, but yeah, first reform would definitely be up there as well. Um, so moving on to the best movie of the year. Uh, for me, it is going to be the favorite. Um, I'm going to put a little asterisk here until tomorrow night uh, after I rewatch first man in 4k um because first man was my top of the year for a long time and then i saw the favorite and was like wow that's my favorite of the year but that was months after i'd seen first man uh so but for now as of today um the favorite is my favorite film of 2018 cinematography characters performance direction top-notch stuff it is a great companion piece to barry linden which i would definitely be double featuring one day um it is just incredible the use of lighting uh, the comedy, uh, the just everything, the drama. It is just some of the most beautiful stuff I've seen all year, and I can't wait to get it on Blu-ray. It's a film that I really w- wish was getting more awards love in terms of winning like the big award because I think it is far and away, not far and away, but just out of all these films that continuously get nominated, it's the best of the best. Um, so unironically, The Favorite is my favorite of 2018. Again, that's a great How about game. you? I hope. I can't wait to see it. Um, for me, it's definitely eighth grade. That's the one that has resonated with me the most. It's the one I've seen the most. It's the one I think about the most. Um, I've already mentioned the strength of the two the two lead performances, but like even like everyone around them, like her friend that she meets in high school who like gives her a tour. Yeah, great. Oh, that actress. Great stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the two, her two friends, like the two high school friends, are really great as well. They really feel real. And um, I don't know the kid's name, but that weird kid that she eats chicken nuggets with at the end. Oh, so good. That scene is unreal, dude. Oh, so good, um, yeah. I felt like I was that kid at one point in life. I'm um, not going to lie. His Rick and Morty impression is really good, too. For sure. Not a big fan of the show, but it's a good impression. Um. I just think what puts it up at the top um, is its topicality on like current social media culture and how kids these days, kids these days are getting so obsessed with it that like, it's like causing more panic and more like stress on them. And I feel like it really captured that in a cool way. Um, visually, I think Bo Burn owns a lot of stuff that you wouldn't usually see in the coming of age movie like this like his camera work sometimes he'll just be like following Elsie Fisher walking and most of the time in coming of age stuff it's just like kind of like standard you know like focus on one face cut to another face yeah Um, the soundtrack is amazing I listen to it all the time great score yeah um yeah that's it yeah I will watch it for the rest of my life yeah it's it's a great movie. Like I said earlier, uh, I can't wait to rewatch it and eventually purchase it on 
uh, Blu-ray. Um, it's just one of the best portrayals of social media. Uh, between that and searching, uh, did you see searching at I all did this not year? Yet. I was going um, to on New Year's Eve, but I rented a simple favor instead, which was a mistake. <laughs> uh, I was kind of a fan of that one. I thought that one was okay. Um, right. It's my favorite Paul Feig movie, but that's not saying a lot. Um, so between that and searching, eighth grade and searching, um, their portrayal of social media and how kids actually use the internet is incredible. Um it's not a spoiler or anything, but during the beginning of searching, it shows like the daughter going to addictinggames.com. And I was like, finally, I love somebody, games. right? <laughs> right. I was like, finally, someone understands what it's like to be a kid actually using the computer. We're not over here, you know, going on uh, like weird random websites and shit like that. We're actually like playing yeah. games and shit. So um, like max games, addicting games, club penguin, all that shit. Like, that's actual social media portrayal. And just the way that uh, Bo Burnham portrays it in eighth grade, like just kind of being imprisoned to social media and, uh, you know, showcasing our personality in a way that appeals to people, even though we're dealing with our own sort of uh, personal dilemmas in terms of like mental health um, is just beautiful stuff. And it just is a testament to Bo Burnham as uh as an artist today, uh, like I said, I've been on a Bo Burnham kick and just his ability to um, sort of convey that is and sort of put himself and put some new perspective on something that is usually cringy to the point of, you know, just kind of cliche. I mean, that shot when they're getting their shoe boxes back and then she says Aiden and then it cuts to like a close up of his eyes and it's playing that music it's is amazing. one of the funniest. It's, it's yeah. Just I I'm thinking I'm gonna effing buy the film today and rewatch it. Just talking to you and kind of just going back and thinking about how much I think that film is really great. Um, I just really want to love it just a bit more. It's it's a great film, man. Also, so. a weird detail about eighth grade that like I always love when films do this. You don't see it enough, sadly, but it starts and ends the exact same way. Yes, like her character arc starts in the first scene. She's talking to who. Like her, she's making a YouTube video talking to her, her followers. Mm-hmm. The film ends. She's making another YouTube video. Yep. So, yeah, that's and that's the other thing about film is that to me, uh, watching movies is all about the journey, not the arrival. Uh, the journey yeah. to a point makes that arrival, you know, special. Um, but just that journey from beginning to end, like obviously. In a YouTube video, you would think that nothing has changed in her life, but we see that journey where a lot has changed. For sure. And I think that it's just a great film. So that cannot argue with that pick. It's a great film. Uh, so just briefly, I'm going to run through my top 10 because there's a couple films uh, I didn't give enough attention to or I couldn't just because I thought a couple things were better because uh, we've been going for an hour and a half here. Um, so top 10, uh, we're going to go from 10 to 1. I'm going to go Black Klansman at number 10. You Were Never Really Here at number nine, Roma at number eight, seven, First Reformed, six, Annihilation, five, Blind Spotting, four, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, th- three, Mission Impossible Fallout, two, First Man, and number one, The Favorite. Great list, man. Uh, honorable mention to uh, If Beale Street Could Talk, Widows, and Creed Two. Man, I want to see those really bad. 
they're all incredible. <laughs> As a big Rocky Four fan, Creed Two is like at the top of my list. Um, oh, dude, you'll love it. I'm excited for you. I think I'm gonna try to switch my list up a bit just to give some shoutouts to some films I didn't mention yet. Okay. Um, okay, so number ten, I'm going to go Steven Soderbergh's Insane, which oh, I great really movie. loved. Um, yeah, great movie. Number nine, I'm gonna say Roma. I know that's kind of low, but Roma's number nine for me. Um, number eight is going to have to be uh, Revenge. Number seven is gonna have to be Hereditary. Number six is gonna have to be Mission Impossible Fallout. Five, Thoroughbreds. Four, Annihilation. Three, Blockers. Two, Paddington 2, and one. Oh, grade. man. A huge shout-out to Paddington 2. Uh, one of the best sequels ever made. For sure. Um, that is one of the most wholesome, most endearing, funny, awesome movies I'll see in a long time. Uh, I actually bought the Blu-ray for Black Friday. I'm going to re-watch it soon. It's that sequence and all the stuff in the prison. Uh, to me, Paddington, both Paddington films, personally, uh, represent uh, the best version of a Wes Anderson film we're ever going to get. Uh, it's quirky, got good style, great cast. I know they're not American actors, but the great UK cast. Um, and he just really taps into just a really wholesome story with some great quirky sensibilities. And Paddington, man, I hope he gets a trilogy and I hope Paul King gets to direct it because then it, to me, be one of the best trilogies ever. Can't imagine it, the third one being bad. So great picks, man. So that's it. That is an hour and a half of your time spent with Brady and I uh, over uh, the last year in film. Just a great year in film. So much diverse stuff in there. Uh, Lots of great lists. I couldn't disagree with any of your picks, really. I mean, it is just a great year. And we can see how it all uh, touched us in unique ways. Um, Before I end the show, Brady, you got anything uh, you want to plug? Are you working on anything? Uh, how's life? You know, what are your plans? <laughs> uh, life is great so far. Um, like this year. Um, yeah, I'm working at a fast food place now. I've been there for a couple months. I really like it. Most of the people there are really great. Um, What's it called? Is it like a McDonald's? It's or? A&W. It's a burger joint. I know. I've never been to an A&W because I don't know. If, there's not really many here, I don't think, or in any of the areas I've lived. But I heard it's pretty good. I really like for the, the most part. So that's good. That's I got to work in less than an hour. So, oh I'm shit! Kinda... Yeah, sorry. I, yeah, <laughs> I know this went a little long. So it's okay, man. How's like for you? Uh, it's been good. Um, 2019 has been off to a roaring start. Um, I've been. I hate using the word content. I'm trying to eliminate that from talking about the stuff I create. Um, but I've just been on a roll, man. I, my creative juices have really been exploding. And I hope I don't burn myself out in the first couple months, but I have a lot of things lined up for this year that I'm really excited about. Uh, kicked it off with my Christopher Nolan video essay, which I'm very proud of. Um, a little, might've been a little over ambitious and I could have tightened a few things up, but that just is setting up uh, the fact that I have another two video essays coming out that I'm excited for a couple big featured articles. I'm go- trying to go back to school Uh, because I really need that education to put me over the edge to finally get me into this career field and make some money. I know I'm only 22, but I just want it. 
and I want it, want it now. So, um, yeah, that's just the stuff I've been working on. I'm still at Target, sadly. Um, but, um, yeah, it's been good. Yeah, maybe one day, but that guest service has changed my life for, uh, for the better. Um, after a seasonal work of constantly pumping out 40 hours, it feels good to only have about 20 hours this week. Just kind of relax, watch some movies, play some games and just write. So, cause that's where I'm at home. So, um, kind of like I mentioned, um, my website, um, I believe it's rbcmovies.wixsite.com slash Showtime Roman. That should be what it is. So once again, rbcmovies, that's A-R-B-I-S-I, movies.wixsite, W-I-X-S-I-T-E.com slash Showtime Roman. That should be the website. Uh, that should be the URL to check that out. Um, I just made it for free on Wix and it turned out pretty good. I'm going to add some more changes in there. Uh, I just wanted to get something out to have the foundation for it. Now that's where all of my reviews are going to be posted. Um, all my articles are going to be posted. Um, and that's where you'll be able to find me just creating stuff on social media um, for you guys. Um, it's going to be a big year for me. I'm super excited. I got a lot of other stuff, other things coming up in my personal life that I'm super excited to share um, in the coming months. And uh, let's just have another great year. Uh, 2018 was great, and 2019 is going to be even better. So anything else you want to say, Brady? Yes. Um, this is not official yet, but I've recently rewatched Boogie Nights for like the 15th time or something. <laughs> something crazy. <laughs> and yeah. I'm still in love with the film just as much as I used to be. And I'm thinking about doing like a long essay on it, just like going through everything. I would love to read that. I'm going to have to like take a poll or something to see who would read it. But it's possible. Nah, man. Just don't even take a poll on who would read it. Just write it. You know, I'll share the shit out of it. Um, and, you know, it's funny that you mentioned Boogie Nights because how can you not? You know, it's like your favorite film ever. Um, but I actually thought about, you know, before I knew I was going to do a 2018 recap, I thought I was going to do a standard show with like news, trailers, and then maybe talk about some of our stuff we love from 2018. 18 and i thought about surprise trying to play a joke but i don't think i would have sold it very well on uh saying that they're thinking about doing a remake of boogie nights and i would have loved to have seen a response but i don't think i could have pulled it off because i'm kind of an unclever idiot so i really hope it never happens (laughs) that'd be be really i would love to be there for your live reaction though where if you read on screen right oh boogie nights and works or talks to get remade i would love to see that that'd be hilarious um (laughs) uh, i need to rewatch it though i need to get all of pta's films on blu-ray so it's incredible only have a couple so um that'll do it uh for this week's show ladies and gentlemen thank you for listening uh once again to the showtime with roman podcast again i have a special podcast coming out uh thursday in uh regards to oscar nominations gonna talk some green book uh probably some bow rap unfortunately um but hopefully some first man sneaks in there and it's gonna be a great uh set of films that they're nominating uh for best picture this year uh so can't wait to do that uh lots of stuff on the horizon as mentioned before uh thank you brady for joining me i love having you on you're a great movie fan um and of course i'll have to have you on in the future so Uh, That'll do it for this week's episode. Tune in later this week and next week for more movie-related content from the Showtime with Roman podcast. I'll see you in the future.